internet. You can't just love something. You also have to take care of it. My name is Matthew Kroll. And Jesus is sexy. My name is Shahir Dowd. And Mom Got a Monkey. My name is Izzy. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Fablemans, which uh, I always call the Flickermans. I don't know why. Uh, (laughs) Izzy, you're back. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Always a pleasure. Uh, I, 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 I feel like maybe you're a little bit hesitant to be here because I I saw that you potentially got a little bit dragged on Twitter this week because of this movie. A Is little... Twitter still a thing? <laughs> yeah. Mr. New Elon Twitter. has not yeah. um, <laughs> has not destroyed it yet, unfortunately. Yeah. I did a little bit. I think it's partially like I didn't articulate myself well, and oh. also I have an opinion that is slightly outside the um, – majority opinion for this movie so I, I i am excited to be here actually because i feel like i can better articulate what i meant to say those well, are I'm, my favorite kind of opinions are yeah. the ones that are slightly outside of the norm yeah uh, i'm glad so i'm uh, very excited i'm glad you took the uh, uh the invitation to come because i wasn't sure it's uh, bravery it, <laughs> <laughs> i'm being brave yeah I have courage. Um, ah. <laughs> and See, you that's just what re- we're missing on this show, here. We finally have it. <laughs> and you just released a video on uh, The Three Faces of Eve with uh, Joanne Woodward uh, about yes. you know her performance there and how that how that role came about. It's a really fascinating video. I, I, I had to tell you this. Uh, uh, I think this was a revelation, maybe, that I listen to podcasts at two times the speed, and I also mm-hmm. watch your YouTube videos at two times the speed Good. as well. They're too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just the way I it's the way I, I watch content now. So uh, it's better though. He doesn't even watch mine. So oh <laughs> yeah. man. So yeah, you're a step ahead of that. Do those at like four times speed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just... Um, and the last time we had you on was for another Spielberg movie. Although no, you were on while I was away. Yes. Uh, what was mm-hmm. the movie you were on for while I was away? By the way. Uh, good luck to you, Leo Grant. Yes. Oh. Good luck to you, Leo Grant. Oh, such a great movie. I actually yeah. caught up with that one. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, really good. And that was while I was in New Zealand. And then you've also been in New Zealand. That's right. I was in Australia and New Zealand for about two weeks, and I'm obsessed with it, and I'm trying to move there. Miss Ardern, please <laughs> give me a visa. I would love that. Um, it's beautiful. Oh, great. I'm glad, I'm glad you had a good time there. Um, and uh, I, I think we were talking at some point. I would love you to uh, visit the New Zealand Film Commission or actually like take in some of the, the history of New Zealand cinema, because I think there's a lot of stuff there that you would oh, yeah. really, really enjoy. Um, but the the other last time we were on, so the other other time we were on, you came on the show was for a Spielberg film. So I think this is kind of going to become our annual thing: is that uh, like our Spielberg December release is going to mm-hmm. be the time we all get together and talk about Spielberg movies, right? Is that <laughs> I our hope thing? So now? yeah, maybe he's just going to be very prolific for for an annual <laughs> Spielberg movie. Yeah, review, I think the next uh, the next down. film the next film he's. Uh, 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 slated to be working on is, is a remake of Bullet, mm-hmm. I think, is the, is the, the wow, Steve McQueen film. Wow, I didn't film. know that. With Dan, is it with Daniel Craig, or am I just assuming that because he looks like... Yeah, mm. I can see I, I, that, that's not a bad That's not a bad assumption, actually. I'm not ex- ex- exactly sure who he's going to be going with, but uh, that, that's a pretty good uh, uh, pretty good ca- yeah remake casting, I think. I, I would buy that. Uh, Matt, how are you doing, buddy? You know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm post-COVID now. Uh, I got through it. Uh, I'm feeling fine, though we're in the midst uh, of, uh, I guess by the time this comes out, the next day is when we're officially announcing this. We're doing a channel split. 
Ooh. Uh, which needs seven additional pieces of content to be produced over the course of when we're on break or before it. So I'm a bit stretched thin. Oh, no. Um, it's exciting and the right move, and I hate it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, did, I've just been uh, going nonstop. So uh, I actually, the, going to see this film was like my one fun thing I got to do last weekend. And, and, and Jamie and I went. We decided to to um, to be the oldest people we possibly could, and we went to Lincoln, uh, mm-hmm. the Lincoln Theater, uh, at 10 a.m. on a Sunday. Okay, was it was it a Hell packed yeah. house? It was fairly packed. Really? Um, okay, that's his core audience. Yeah, I think so. I so. We went yeah. amongst his people, um, <laughs> and it was it was so lovely. Uh, to get out of a film and have it be like one o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I can, I can, oh, go back to work. But the point was, it was just an interesting, a different way that I don't normally do that. Yeah, uh, and it felt correct due to, as Izzy, you said, this being that being his core audience for this film. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. How about you? How you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing good, thank you. I saw the film at ten o'clock at night uh, in the in the most modern way possible in a completely empty theater, but got to see it with a couple of friends of mine, which was really really great. Uh, all Spielberg fans, and uh, I went back and I wanted to just double check this because we d- we've done West Side Story, we've done Jaws on the show. And in both of those episodes, I wanted to make a double sh- double check that we hadn't done like a kind of retrospective or a conversation about one Steven Spielberg, which I believe we actually hadn't done. Um, so, so I thought this would be a fun opportunity to talk about probably one of the most famous filmmakers of all time on this show and talk about, you know, uh, our relationship to him because... Um, from memory, I think maybe the the best summation of uh, Mr. Spielberg could be made in a in a seminal, uh, masterful episode of Dawson's Creek, when Dawson has to <laughs> goes to film school for the first day and is asked who his favorite filmmaker is, and he responds with Steven Spielberg, much to the derision of his entire snobby film class, who 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 basically take him down a pig suggesting that Spielberg is no more than a than a a, a sentimental hack um so do I we thought think, be... do we think that's accurate <laughs> I I, mean, I think like that, that, is that the... scene that's yeah. what I'm talking about because <laughs> when I was coming up everyone loved all the directors that they were referencing there but also loved like no one was like ooh you like Spielberg like that never happened I I, I think that's real. Yeah, is it? I, yeah, yeah, I think it is. Like it, when I went to film school, certainly Spielberg was basically. I think the thing that it came down to is if someone said Steven Spielberg was their fam- was their favorite filmmaker, it was like saying Starbucks is my favorite coffee. You know what I mean? It was like you're you're basic. Yeah. I, <laughs> But like, I guess maybe I went to a state school, guys. I don't know. But like, uh, the the, I, I feel like it was just the different vibe of film students. Like, there were definitely, I think, individuals in in my film classes and stuff that would would turn their nose up at that. But it, I I don't know. I I remember that Dawson's Creek scene. Yeah. 
And I remember thinking when I saw it, because I think that was must have been high school. I was like, oh, man, that's going to be like. And again, Steven Spielberg's not my favorite director, but I like Steven Spielberg. Hmm. A- and I was like, oh, man, it's going to be really hard. Like, I got to get my like my real like um, niche chops up. Right. And then I got there and then it was just like. Everyone likes Spielberg. I, <laughs> not even just Spielberg, like the big names. Like, like Spielberg, just, Scorsese, Defi- like all of Peter Biscuit's Tarantino. Like, just like. <laughs> and I'm just like, cool. Uh, oh, OK. Neat. <laughs> I think it's real from like especially the late 80s when he started sort of making more movies that were considered prestige mm-hmm. and yeah, he the had Sun, right? several high profile snubs at the Academy Awards and the discourse around that was that people were had a hard time taking him seriously as a ah. director who wasn't just like a popcorn blockbuster kind of guy. Um obviously we've crossed that hurdle and then sure. some with him yeah. but i definitely think there was that moment where he was sort of derided for being good at his job in a <laughs> yeah, popular way <laughs> <laughs> i i also think uh i was trying to think about like how to play spielberg in the sort of pantheon of uh american cinema and it's it's sort of it, you know as you kind of described um he is probably the most like his name is synonymous with filmmaking, you know, like, you know, like people will say, hey, Spielberg, you know, if you're talking about a director, it is it is it is the most commonplace name um, associated with the art of filmmaking today. And he is, you know, the guy is worth four billion dollars. Um, he has made some of the most successful films and some of the most critically acclaimed films of our generation. Um, he you know, to me, the thing about him to, to think about is that um uh, I kind of equate him with like he is to cinema what Norman Rockwell he is to American cinema what Norman Rockwell is to American painting, um, and he is akin to George Gershwin in that in that sense as well, and in, in the sort of populist but also technically masterful and with a great deal of depth, but not perhaps not immediately on the surface, um, or maybe maybe easily easily glossed over given how accessible. And fun his movies are, and I, the other thing is, um, but 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 there's an interesting phenomenon now, which is that when we did the movie The Post uh, on this podcast, I think we had a guest on and we talked about Spielberg, and I think the question came up was like, oh, what's what what other movies has he done? And I was like, oh, what? Wait, what? And it was, and I think there was this moment where it was like, oh yes, Spielberg was obviously uh, a gin. X or Gen or Boomer kind of, uh, you know. Uh, I mean, he's seventy-five, so I don't know what that makes. Where he, I don't know. He's, he's, he's a Boomer though. making Gen X movies. Yeah, yeah that feels a, right. Yeah, yeah. And so the there's an entire the generation now that isn't that familiar with the heights of Spielberg. You know, that didn't grow up where Spielberg's name was synonymous with filmmaking, um, and. I a I'm very curious as how as to how something like the Fablemans, which is so much about the mythology of Steven Spielberg, plays to that audience. But also, I was just kind of curious as to, um, you know, do we still feel the presence of Steven Spielberg in in modern blockbusters? Like, I I would have to argue that I think the the landscape of the Marvel Cinematic Universe owes a great debt to Spielberg. The, I mean, the the blockbuster was coined. Uh, you know the phase was coined around Steven Spielberg, and and certainly he has uh, uh, entered that phase of being an elder statesman of the of the film industry. Uh, him on the West Coast and Scorsese on the East Coast, kind of taking up similar mantles. Um, 
But I, yeah, I guess for both of you, you know, we both went, we all went to film school or uh, is he? Uh, I certainly did not, but I'll it, pretend when, that I did. No, <laughs> you're bitter for you it and you wisely. know more than most people that did. So I'll, I'll put that out there. Um, I, I'm curious what your relationship to Steven Spielberg is or what you think of him. You want to go first, Matt? Oh, sorry. I thought he. I thought he asked you directly. Oh, um, I can uh, no, but I, no. I think you're right. Now that I'm revoked. No, you know what? I'll go. Because mine is short. Courage. Yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> look at this. It's rubbing off. Um, I obviously like Spielberg. I like so. So many of his movies got me interested in making movies. I also have, and this is a hang-up that is a personal hang-up for me. It has nothing to do with him or his skill at the craft of filmmaking. As a kid who wants to make movies, all people call you, as to Shahir sort of uh, as already alluded to, is like, oh, Spielberg, he's going to be the next Spielberg. Da, 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 da. And it's like, I hated that because hmm. I liked Spielberg and he's a successful filmmaker, but I, I look. No one's the next Spielberg. That's not a thing. Like, and I hate, like, how much, especially, like, when I was younger and, like, I don't know, cared more. <laughs> like, I like that's a ton of pressure for, like, your dad to tell someone. And I'm just like, no. Like, I, no. But I get, I understand it's the shorthand. But in my head, because it happens so much, I have this weird block where, like, I don't, I don't equate it with like a greatness that I want to emulate or that like, even though it is one of the most successful like film directors of all time, like there's just this weird thing with me and it does not affect my uh, enjoyment of his work or any of that stuff. But whenever someone calls someone else Spielberg, I get a weird tinge of, I don't know what it is. It's not like, um, what's the opposite of courage? Fear? Or like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'll, I'll I'll figure it out by the end of this podcast, but it doesn't make me feel great, and I kind of dislike that that has seeped into my like being around this incredible director and filmmaker. And it's something that I can never quite shake. I have a therapy session tomorrow. I could talk about that, <laughs> um, but that's kind of me. Izzy, what about you? Um, I would say that I grew up watching a lot of his mm. movies. My sister was obsessed with Jurassic Park she still is so that was one of those movies that we had you know on VHS we had the sequels on VHS um those were on a lot we had like merch and dinosaurs everywhere in the house <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. obviously loved E.T. uh Jaws all of the the early classics um but I think kind of it Shahir you brought up a really interesting point is like what what do blockbusters today owe Steven Spielberg mm -hmm. and obviously I think there's kind of a cinematic way that he approached storytelling and this is everything is like big and exciting and you know monsters and all these kinds of things that we've kind of taken to the next level but I think what I admire about those early works so much now is their restraint mm. and I think a lot of that is has to do with obviously like a technological limit limitation mm. on what was possible you can't really cgi a shark in mm. 1970 whatever um yeah. yeah but uh because of that he was so careful about the way that he used the shark or the or the dinosaurs um yeah. or et and so uh 
those moments, I think he's better able to build a relationship with those characters and build emotions attached to those characters, which is something that I think is kind of missing now. I think a lot of blockbusters kind of owe their debt to like, I guess the Russo brothers now, which is just, you know, it's like very flat and very clearly just shot like on a blue soundstage somewhere. And Mm. there's like a loss of intimacy that I think he's so um, masterful at creating. Mm. Um, And so I really cherish those early works, especially I think I've sort of fallen off of um, his films more recently. Like, I, I didn't dislike The Post or Bridge of Spies or anything like that, but they're just not the right. kind of films that I gravitate toward naturally. So, um, yeah, I really, really, really respect him as a filmmaker. Um, but, but I think well. I, <laughs> but I think I just haven't uh, connected as much with some of these later films that he's made. That makes sense. I mean, I uh, so I have not seen Ready Player One. I have a big problem with that story and that that franchise in general. Uh, though everyone automatically thinks that I love it, um, uh, I haven't heard great things about that. I liked The Post, fine. I liked Bridge of Spies, but like again, those aren't films that I go back to. Like his more recent stuff, up till West Side Story, honestly, was uh, was stuff that I was not terribly interested in revisiting or even seeing in the case of Ready Player One. But again, that's not his fault. Uh, that's that's him being sucked into a narrative that is kind of about him uh, in, a, in an odd way. Um, I feel like when I was really into Spielberg, I feel like it was probably, it probably ended around like the Catch Me If You Can or the Terminal kind of times. Yeah, I think that's the same for me. Yeah. Uh, definitely like before Crystal Story. Skill. Yeah, I... West Side Story was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shahir, what I mean, you how how outside of the states was was how synonymous was Spielberg when you were growing up and wanting knowing you wanted to make films? I mean, the guy's a global phenomenon. You know, it's not uh, you, you go you could go anywhere on the planet and mention Spielberg's name, and it, it, it instantly everyone will know what you're talking about. Um, I maybe like Dawson in that scene uh, was uh, and still am uh, 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 a lover of Spielberg's work. I you know like flat out. I think the man is a genius, and I think and uh, and and the reason I think that he's a genius is is many is in much the way that you articulated is he is that um, there is while his name is synonymous with the blockbuster and the phrase was coined around him, if you go back to those early works, uh, even to you know like even to Jurassic Park, there is not only a degree of restraint that is applied in everything that he does, there is a masterful understanding of the relationship between the characters. And the the special effect, so to speak, or the the characters and the spectacle. He's just he just balances that out so finely. And he's obviously had misses, but his misses are far more compelling than most people's successes. Um, and you know I, his films are, you know, I'm at the age now where if you tell me there's a Spielberg movie in theaters that I can go see that that's that's the actual appeal is that i get to see a new spielberg movie in a theater um and so and and to me that's kind of a special thing um and i think you know um uh while i certainly admired 
the the films you know like all the way through growing up uh in terms of like oh i loved et i loved close encounters of the third kind i loved jaws jaws terrified me to the point where i didn't actually want to go to the toilet um because i was afraid a shark would jump out and uh jurassic park you know hit me at the exact right age because i was at the age where like oh my god dinosaurs and movies oh my you know schindler's list like destroyed me and made me go oh movies can capture history in a really interesting way. Um, but it was actually War of the Worlds when I was sort of post-film school, uh, when I saw that movie. And it's not my favorite Spielberg movie at all, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I don't but like that, it. But that first attack in War of the Worlds was so masterfully executed. And it's actually, um, it's, it's actually become a, a textbook case in the VFX industry of... Um, uh, a perfectly produced sequence. Uh, it's often talked about because it came in under budget and on time and on schedule. And every and it's been held up as the, the it, there's this thing called the world of the world's effect uh, in VFX circles where people talk about like. Uh, movies coming in trying to achieve what War of the Worlds did in their same time frame and same budget and getting nowhere near uh, with the same success rate because the the and what people talk about is that uh, is how efficiently made that sequence is and how uh, how clear an understanding Spielberg has of how to build the shots in order to create the greatest amount of terror and my 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 memory when I watched War of the Worlds was like oh my God, this guy knows how to put the camera in the exact right position in the, in every moment. It really, it's just like pretty natural where it, it doesn't seem like um, there's any misstep about where the camera should go. And the camera's usually going in really complicated places and doing really complicated things, but making them feel very, very simple. So uh, I, I love Steven Spielberg. Uh, I have this like real fascination with the eras of Steven Spielberg. Um, you know, his early years, we've got talking about uh, Duel, Jaws, E.T., Close Encounters, which I would sort of call like the boy wonder years where he kind of, you know, burst on the scene. People were excited by his talent. The, the mid-range years when in, um, you know, the early missing with like the prestige films, as you mentioned, Izzy, uh, like The Color Purple and The Empire of the Sun. I think both those films, despite being somewhat problematic in terms of what they're aiming for and the sort of and maybe that sense of like, uh, who is this guy? You know, he's really much better at the at the sort of sci fi than he is like the, the real issues kind of films, um, you know, is where that 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 ear that the thought kind of came in. But I still think those films are really masterful. Empire of the Sun, you know, again, I saw it as a little kid. Uh, it kind of haunts me to this day. I still think about it a lot. I rewatched it like a couple of years ago and was pretty mesmerized by it. Um, I think the, the, the of, of course, the major apex of his career, um, I guess financially and critically, was 1993 when, Jurassic, when, when in the same year Jurassic Park and Schindler's List comes out. And if you can talk about basically hitting every quadrant um, in one hit, uh, that you know, and I think you know, famously, it was probably one of only a handful of directors to be nominated against himself at the Oscars. Uh, and I don't know, did he win for Schindler's List? I believe he. did. I think so. Yeah, I, I could thought, be wrong, yeah. but yeah, he did, and I think he won later for Saving Private Ryan as well. Um, you know, just amazing. The period I'm really interested in is the post Kubrick years. So Spielberg gets heavily involved with Stanley Kubrick um, around the uh, early 2000s, uh, just as Kubrick is finishing up uh, Eyes Wide Shut and uh, offers Spielberg the chance to direct uh, AI. And I think I there's a part of me that think that thinks AI kind of broke Spielberg in a kind of really beautiful way, which was that 
he was for the first time in his career working under the auspices of another master uh, of another master filmmaker and you know like he he got blamed a lot for the weird ending that ai is but it actually feels very uh, much like a Kubrick kind of ending to that film. If anyone's seen that movie, I and love AI. AI, I, I just, love I, its I, ending. Yeah. It's so, it's it so is, good. It, it's an, in my opinion, it's such an odd outlier of his filmography. Yeah, but like, not in a way I hate. Like, I, it, it's, it's the, it's one of his films that I remember the most. Yeah, and like, I can go back and and I could pick apart AI if I wanted to, but AI makes me not want to. It, like, it, I'm just there for it. I think what's uh, what's strange is, is like Kubrick uses Spielberg in almost the same way that he uses Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise in Eyes Wide Shut. You know, he kind <laughs> of uses their public personas to subvert what you're gonna what you're gonna get out of these movies. Sure. And and I think it's a it's a really interesting thing because what happens is the next I think four films from from Spielberg are probably one of the greatest runs of any filmmaker of any time. We've got Catch Me If You Can, or we've got Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, uh, The Terminal, Munich, and... Uh, Indiana think, Jones and the Tale of the Crystal Skull. Uh, <laughs> Tale of the, yeah, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is where we is where it breaks. best role. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I think that run of movies is just amazing. And they come like, they're, they're bangers, and they all come out one after each other. They're made really quickly. I think it's like... He's he's now, you know, after having done the experience of working with Stanley Kubrick and making this film, AI, I think he just like cuts loose and it's it's almost like freeform jazz in those movies. It's like he's going in every direction. It is a complete ease to what he's doing and it's it's incredible. I think now he's slipped into sort of an elder statesman kind of role in mm-hmm. in the industry. Um, you know, things like Warhorse, Lincoln, you know, Lincoln is obviously the movie of the American story, and like, of course, Steven Spielberg would direct it. Um, and and now there's an interesting thing, which is that you know, the, we'll come to the Fablemans in a minute after we do our top fives. But but the 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 Fablemans is um, is basically taking something that has been subtext throughout all of his entire films. Uh, the story of his family's divorce and and his the the separation of his parents and uh, away from each other and making it the text of the movie and I think that's a really unique place and and I'm very curious as to how everyone kind of thought about that. Is uh, it unique? Well, <laughs> I'm not saying it's good or bad. Is it unique? Unique is in what way? an auteur director doing a, a or a writer or something telling the story of how they became a, a, a director or writer unique? I don't think so. But I think the fact that that Spielberg, who spent his entire career using those stories as subtext throughout, like the, the, there is no director who has made more movies about his parents' divorce than Steven Spielberg. I will say there's no director that I will forgive more about making a story of why they're a director than Steven Spielberg. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, let's, we'll get into the Fablemans in a second. <laughs> Uh, I thought we just quickly we could kind of just do a quick top five. What are our favorite Ooh. Spielberg movies? What do we, uh, what what do we what do we love? Izzy, you wanna you wanna go first? Uh, sure thing. Okay, my top five Steven Spielberg movies are pretty conventional. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna say The Color Purple. It comes in at number five. Nice. Um, Saving Private Ryan, number four. Yep. Um. Close Encounters, number three. Of course. Number two, Jaws. 
and yep. number one, Jurassic nostalgia Park. points, Jurassic Park. That's right. Oh yeah. yeah. It's a it's a great that that this is the thing about Steven Spielberg is like you almost can't go wrong with like picking up the top five here. Like everyone's gonna might have a different one, but it's like Well apparently <laughs> you can in film school, Dawson. Oh. <laughs> uh Shahir, you do yours. All right. So uh, my top five goes a little something like this. Uh, Empire of the Sun, nostalgia points for me uh, across that uh, haunted me. I still think it's a beautiful film. Minority Report, I think, just rips along and does and and kind of lets go of the philosophy and just tells a great ripping story that happens to have a philosophical undertone to it that's brilliant. AI, for all the reasons we outlined above, it's this perfect uh, melding of Kubrick and, and uh, Spielberg in one. Duel, I, you know, as a film student at one point, watching that movie and going, oh my God, this is what you can do with two cars on a, on a highway. Um, pretty incredible. And I think, uh, like, the banger for me, the number one is Catch Me If You Can. I think that movie rips uh, so hard and like and is an amazing story about it about his family's divorce yeah I, so it's funny I'm just gonna roll right into that because that's my number five catch me if you can is yeah. my is my number five uh, I would say my number four is probably if I'm stretching it around maybe uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark Nice. Um, yeah. Just because, and I'm, I, I, I don't knock. It's just that 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 is such a quintessential adventure for me. Yeah. Um, I will say then AI is number three. Uh, Jurassic Park is number two. But there's a film we have not mentioned. Everyone. Your favorite movie is The Fablemans. My favorite movie. <laughs> your top. Your fa- Your favorite Spielberg movie is The Fablemans. Rufio. Hook. Oh, Rufio. wow. Hook. I will drop everything. Yeah. If Hook is on a TV screen, mm-hmm. I will stop. I'm seriously debating. Fred, a friend of ours, Mike Stipokowski, has a PlayStation 4 that disk drive is broken and all it has in it is the film Hook, so all it can do <laughs> is play the film Hook. I'm seriously debating buying it from him. I love Hook. Hook is a uh, great yeah, I mean, look, it's a the Peter Pan edits syndrome. by Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah. There we go. It's, so like I don't know. That's I, I'm surprised no one else mentioned. Well, Hook Hook in nineteen forty one, the color purple, uh, maybe Empire of the Sun as well. These are these are considered the lesser Spielbergs, right? Uh blasphemy. Yeah, but blasphemy no, but, when it comes to Hook. But, but we all had one of them on each of our top five. Sure, you know, like sure, everyone, sure, you sure. know, like we all we all had one. I think there's no way you can go, and, and everyone can switch your, your number ones uh, easily on that. Now, Shahir, I don't want to wait for this pod to be over. I want to know right now uh, <laughs> what wait. you thought of the Fablemans. <laughs> do you want to tell me what the Fablemans is about? Given that, oh sure, yeah. let's just do that first. Is it about divorce? <laughs> I don't know. Well, IMDb says the following, Izzy. <clears throat> Growing up in post-World War II-era Arizona, young Sammy Fableman aspires to become a filmmaker as he reaches adolescence, but soon discovers a shattering family secret and explores how the power of film can help him see the truth. Man, the power of film got me nowhere, let me tell you right now. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I didn't learn anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I learned how to make zombie makeup look really good. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm making different movies. The power of film was not therapeutic for me at all. In fact, it just caused me more misery. I will um, say, his, his origin, though, always makes me feel better about being born in Cincinnati. Like, there like, you go. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he was born in Arizona and made it all the way, is that, is that what you mean? Or No, he was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. No, he was born in Cincinnati. I did not. That's right. I, and oh. he... Got out, just like me. <laughs> well, actually, we we're the same. About, 
We should talk about the the man, the myth, the legend, because the, there is this famous story. Izzy and I were texting back and forth about this. The famous story of him uh, sneaking onto the lot at Warner Brothers and like taking an office for three months or something like that. Like this, this is a story that's repeated often about Steven Spielberg. Um, like, like he just took it. He he. The the legend goes. Uh, is that he snuck onto the lot at Warner Brothers sure. and just kept on sneaking onto the lot. Uh, they would just wave him in after a few days because he can he kind of just you know looked like he was meant to be there, and supposedly uh, finds an empty office and just like works out of it for the next few months. Uh, eventually, like getting a meeting and uh, showing his film Amblin. Uh, to a couple of it to Shy Shy Steinberg, I, I, I forget the name. Who eventually becomes his longtime uh, business partner and gets him job. It is, is that corroborated. It is well corroborated that 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 story, which he has told and has been told about him many times, is complete and utter horseshit. Um, <laughs> so it like, hasn't been corroborated. It's been the opposite corroborated been as corroborated. bullshit, as complete bullshit. But yeah, it's that, like that reeks of propaganda to me. <laughs> well, it's amazing if you watch the Spielberg that's, documentary on HBO. Yeah. That story is recounted in what the uh, fuck people t- like. It's this weird thing, which is that. People know it's bullshit, but also like to believe it to be true because yeah, it believing, sounds right. Yeah, believing it to be true means that you also accept that a, a young upstart can find you know like was predestined to make films in that way. I think you know. I don't know. Yuck. Um, Hashtag <laughs> yuck. Uh, I think I think that the the accepted line about telling that story is uh, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend or something like that or uh, great you know, whatever it is. Um, the Fablemans excited <laughs> to go to a movie to see a Steven Spielberg film. Um, delighted every time Janis Kaminsky's lighting, you know, like uh, creates a a, a perfect uh, shaft of light into a room that Spielberg deftly orchestrates around uh, beautifully. Very curious to see how he portrays what was once the subtext of his movies into the text. Walked out of the movie with three friends, all Spielberg fans, all of us say unanimously, we didn't get it. (laughs) <laughs> like we just didn't get it, <laughs> and these are and we're all people who get movies. It's not it's not a it's not a lack of understanding. It is a I don't get it. Like like I just don't get what this film is trying to do, why it's doing it, and how it's supposed to work. Now I've spent a lot of time agonizing over this because I love Steven Spielberg and I love his movies. I agree. The last few have not really landed for me. I think the post didn't land for me West Side Story didn't really land for me Ready Player One definitely didn't land for me um, and you know I liked Bridge of Spies well enough um, but just I, I I found I I found nearly every moment of this movie that was supposed to kind of work on me fall completely flat and and then I couldn't figure out what it was trying to do in relation to the next scene. And I think there's a there's a presumption about this. There's a presumptuousness about this movie, which is that we it, it is made by one of the foremost thinkers and uh, well-known practitioners of cinema about how he became a practitioner of cinema. Yet it is decidedly not that introspective about that process and oddly i still find for example my favorite movie of his you know at this moment catch me if you can 
to be a better exploration of a child's reaction to their parents' divorce than this film, which is, by all accounts, uh, you know, a kind of fairly well strung together memory of things that actually happened in his life. And and I couldn't for the life of me figure that out because this film is also scoring really highly on Rotten Tomatoes. Lots of uh, well-respected journalists are calling this the film of the year and the front runner to win Best Picture next, uh, at the Oscars uh, next year, which I, for the life of me, cannot figure out. Could either of you help me in this quest? No. <laughs> <laughs> Izzy, do you want to go? Sure. So I went to TIFF this year. And I knew that the Fablemans was premiering at the yeah. festival. Mm-hmm. This is a big deal because he hasn't played at a film festival in years, in decades. Mm-hmm. And um, just from having seen the poster of it, mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to opt out. I don't want to see this at the okay. festival. Um, and the reactions were exactly what I expected, which is like, oh, my God. You know, I think all film festival reviews are kind of hyped up a little too much but I was but it was like a lot right everybody loved the Fablemans and I just got this single sinking feeling that I wasn't going to like it as much as everybody else what did what because what what was the what what do you think gave you that feeling I'm not it's I feel like there's a very ironic aspect to my cinephilia which is that I clearly love movies. I love talking about them. I love studying them. I love watching them. But I don't give a shit about <laughs> the magic of the movies. <laughs> right, like right. anything that is kind of sentimental in that way just makes me roll my eyes and I do not like it. And right. a lot of the marketing for this movie was focused on that wide eyed kid in the theater looking up at the train and like, click, he's a director, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just, I do not have access to those emotions in my <laughs> emotional toolbox. And okay. I don't know if that, that makes me a monster <laughs> or what, <laughs> but I just can't do it. I'd never like movies like that. Right. Um, and so when the film started and it was like, it's the magic and it's going to take you away like a dream. And then the father's like, it's 24 frames a second. And I'm like, has this kid not seen television? <laughs> well, he's like, six years old. Well, it's 1952. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, I could tell right away what this movie was going to be. Mm. And I, and like the way that it was setting up these two characters. And I was just like, I, I don't know that this is going to resonate with me very much. And it really didn't. I just kind of, I think there are like those very Spielbergian moments of, of genius and kind of Mm. spectacle that, um, really captured my attention like the the moments where he introduces oddities where like we're we're with the very christian um (laughs) student or uh genie berlin anytime she was in it or uh judd hirsch um the moment where he kind of like left the family i guess i was like oh this is kind of this isn't really fun um (laughs) but then a lot of the times i was just very bored Um, which is not something I say very often about Spielberg movies, I guess. So I was yeah. a little thrown off. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I guess I understand what I prefer as an audience member at this point or what I'm looking for from my experiences. And uh, 
I wasn't able to meet this one where it's at. So I know that like part of that is on me. Mm. Um, but yeah, just wasn't into it. Matt, there we go. Um, I feel like we're gonna have a hat trick here. Uh, <laughs> but I, so so I will say, maybe out of the three of us, I enjoyed it the most, okay. which I was not expecting to, because again, my history of stories about <laughs> stories about storytellers telling stories, I never fucking like. Like, right. I just, it, it feels masturbatory and weird. And I'm like, yes, we're all great. The magic of it. Hooray. Like, I never, I never dig it. I like, su I like it when it's in the subtext of things. Like, Catch me if you can is a story about the divorce. Like, I, I love that sort of thing. Uh, but I will say, like, I actually wasn't bored in this movie. But I, and I, and I enjoyed watching it. And I really, like, had a good time with this group of characters. But uh, then when it was over, I had zero emotional resonance with either the characters or the story that was trying to be told. And I was trying to figure out, like, I was talking with Jamie about it. We went out to lunch afterward because it was one o'clock. <laughs> and uh, and she really, really liked it. And she was telling me about how it, it affected her in this way and that way. And like, I was like, why am I not latching on? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, she's like, I figured because like your history or whatever, and like you wanted to make movies and you work in media and like whatever, like this would, this would, like that would grab you. Mm. And I was like, yeah, it should, <laughs> I guess. But like, I, I still have yet to place what the off thing is about it. Um, the, the first third of the film worked the least for me. Um, I think post uh, Judd, wait, Judd Hirsch coming on as Uncle Boris, I felt like was a revelation. Yeah. Like he was in a different movie than I was watching. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, what is happening? What is happening? What is happening? And then like, it just got interesting. Oh, you know what it was? I, I Spielberg, I feel like, is not like the most subtle director, of course, but like I feel like when there's setup for reveals or things like that around that nature, he tends to like not over like push. And then you have a moment where you're like, oh, that referenced the thing with the step, like whatever, right? From the like, if if the whole thing is supposed to be, and now we're into spoilers, if the whole thing is supposed to be that Sammy, the son, the filmmaking kid, the Spielberg surrogate, realizes that his mom is having an affair with her, her dad's best friend. Um, like, if 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 that's when he realizes that in the moment about like in like watching the film in the background, like the way it's set up in this movie is blatant from the first five minutes. Like it is, mm -hmm. it's not like a hint. It's not a oh, I'll reference this later. It's like yeah, they're having an affair. Like, like, and, and I was very like that got when, it, and so when that reveal happened and it was running a little bit long, especially in that first third, I was like, yeah, let's, let's go. Like, what's the, let's keep it moving. And it didn't, it didn't latch me there. And then right. even from the filmmaking perspective, uh, Izzy, I kind of relate to what you, what you're saying. I love movies, 
but I don't think I've had the movie making magic moment that like that I've seen this kid have in this movie that people talk about you or you've talked about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've had like I've had moments where I have been in jaw dropping awe of what I am seeing and being literally swept away in a story that I am not living, but I am doing the closest thing I possibly can to that. But never in those moments, in that moment, in the theater, I'm never, if that's, if it's working, I'm not thinking about the film craft. If the story is being told to the level where it is affecting me highly emotionally, I'm not like, oh my God, the lighting. And oh my, I, I want to do this. Like, I never think that. Hmm. In Like, going back and like rewatching films and looking at it, but like that first moment of like, again, kids staring up at the train or the Western or whatever, like, I never had that. Like, I had moments after the fact, like, oh, people make this stuff. I can make this stuff? Mm. Like, holy shit. So, like, to have that be the center through line, and I've seen, we've all seen that moment. I mean, we've all watched Dawson's Creek, am I right? <laughs> so, like, we all we all have seen that. And so maybe there was a central thesis in conjunction with my dislike of storytellers telling stories about them telling stories and becoming storytellers that I just could not latch on emotionally, despite the fact if someone said, hey, did you like The Failments? I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> I did. It was, it, I, had, I had a good time at the movies. I, I, I think it's a little bit more fundamental than that because I, 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 I can see where you guys are coming from in terms of not enjoying stories about storytelling. Um, I think I, I only said that. I don't want to put words in Izzy's mouth. Sure. Um, I, I've <laughs> definitely, you know, like um, a film like Cinema Paradiso brings me to tears every time because it's a film about the magic of the cinema and what the magic of the cinema means to us and what the magic of the movie makes. So, and, it, and it like brings me, you know, it destroys me every time I watch it. Um, I think there's a more fundamental thing here, which is that the scenes are playing uh, as a series of almost uh, fractured vignettes of moments that are, are, by all accounts, you know, Spielberg on the press tours talked about, these are all real moments that happened. His mother really did get a monkey. They really did drive into a tornado. He, he really, really did, did sneak into the Warner Brothers lot. He really did sneak into the Warner Brothers lot. Like, I don't buy anything anymore. He really, you know, his he, he learned through... Uh, shooting home videos uh, uh, of his uh, family, of his mother and uh, his dad's best friend, that they were secretly in love. And sure enough, after um, his parents got divorced, they became, uh, uh, they got married and stayed married for the rest of the years. And if you watch the um, uh, the Spielberg documentary uh, on HBO, it's it's a really startling revelation, which is basically that, uh, and again, you can you can kind of relate it to his movies as well, which is that a film like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and E.T. is really about a father abandoning his child or abandoning his children, and um, you know that was a that was the the story that Spielberg believed for many years that his father had left his mother. And, you know, had decided to go off and have another, you know, have another family. It was only revealed later in life that it was her that had had the affair and had moved on. And the way the family describes it is that the father decided to become, to take the blame, because, in his words, he says it in the documentary, because his wife was fragile. And he didn't want her to be the, the focus point for why the family fell apart. And for Spielberg... Um, a film like Catch Me If You Can is a kind of reconciliation of that idea because in that film, it's all about the son trying to reconcile, trying to get his parents back together and the father going, no, it's not going to happen. 
and and you know like so you can see this beautiful sort of idea at play through his films in this film it doesn't play out like that and that actual revelation that Paul Dano's character the father of the fablemans takes the burden he almost becomes the dark knight of this uh, of the story to 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 bear the weight of the 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 falling apart of their marriage actually doesn't connect or or have any weight to it in the way that the story is told and i think they're like the most successful scene in the film is the one where little sammy fableman is putting together the film a la blow up um you know uh a la the conversation you know like piecing together the moments re-watching them realizing a different truth than the one he initially thought and then eventually revealing that to his mother i think that's that's really the the heart and center of the movie is, but that that was the most effective scene for you? I I, I yeah, that I did was the like most that effective. scene. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's the scene I, that actually yeah that, that I feel like tells the, the best part. I think that scene tells the best version of what this film is trying to get at. But in my then, opinion, it, why it didn't work for me because yeah. I do think that scene is great. Yeah. But the film as a whole does that scene a disservice oh, yeah. for how the it film treats all work. the information before it. Oh yeah, like the, well because the because so you've got these two threaded connective ideas here, and one is this myth making about Steven Spielberg, the filmmaker. It's the, you know watching him make his first early movies and you know like discover you know engineering amazing solutions again, which were as far as we know true. Um, you know like. Uh, putting pinholes to simulate uh, gunshots in mm-hmm. his war movies, you know, like having people run over those blocks. That's all amazing stuff. And then like, you know, making his, and then kind of cumulatively making his way onto, onto the lot and talking to John Ford, uh, which apparently did happen. Um, uh, but, but I think the way in which that connects with the, 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 the way in which the Fablemans falls apart as a family isn't particularly clear and it's offset by even stranger scenes like the scene with the bully uh who doesn't understand why he filmed him in this way i've read i've read so many think pieces about this particular scene and about why people think it's brilliant and and you know again spielberg says that he doesn't even really understand what happened but this is what happened it it's still as you watch it in the film it is unclear what has transpired in that scene or why that kid is having that reaction in that scene. I, and I and I think the problem there is that it it becomes this messy focus point between what is the film trying to do as a film? Like, what is this, the through line of this story trying to get at? And how does this scene contribute to that? I, I just think there's a, there's a more fundamental problem. Now, maybe if you could watch this as a series of vignettes uh, loosely connected together that are about the intersection of art and family and, you know, pulling them together and that sort of thing, maybe I think it kind of works. But I, yeah, for me personally, I, uh, that's a no for me, dog. I don't know. Yeah, it's all, it's all kind of like that scene and then the scene where they're watching the the family trip in the closet it's like he's somehow talented enough i I don't mean that sarcastically it sounded sarcastic but he's he's talented enough to somehow find the truth yeah in what he's filming and people are reacting to it and it's sort of like him uh realizing that he has this power i guess hmm I think is kind of how I interpreted like the yeah, connection between yeah. those scenes. And I think it works with the mother. It works with his mother. Mm-hmm. I don't quite I think... get how it works 
with that other character. I think that's, but that's kind of everything, right? He's, this entire movie is him learning how to use filmmaking to wield power. And I'm not saying that in a, yeah. in a malicious way or a, or a vindictive way or anything like that. It's like, oh, okay, filmmaking, finding out the thing about his mom. Filmmaking can find the truth in things. That's a crazy power, and I was able to put it together and do it and make it and show it. Great. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, I'm making this Western movie or whatever, and I'm doing it like on, a, or even like the creation montages that he does, right? Like shoestring budgets. Like, wow, I can make people believe or have one, moments of wonderment just by poking pinholes in film and being clever with things. I can use tricks to elicit powerful emotional responses from people in a land of make-believe. Wow, that's crazy. Oh, uh, I can film the summer fun day or whatever and, uh, you know, just be shooting stuff. But then I can learn that people can see different things in the things that I'm shooting because not everyone is me. And different emotional reactions can happen based on what I put on the screen as art. Like... Wow, that's super interesting. It's another power in my little power tool belt. Like everything in this movie is him learning. He, <laughs> you'll hate this analogy. He's gathering the cinematic infinity stones right. <laughs> and, and and just and and kind of putting them all into the gauntlet. And by the end, when he leaves, and there's that very lovely wink to the fourth wall break at the end, like he's got it. Yeah, like. So like that's what I gathered from especially that particular moment with the with the the bully. Um, but, but, I, I, the, oh, sorry. The last thing I'll say is the side note about that is what I would read that is is he was shown so wonderfully that like the girl he cheated on like wanted to get back with him, and that's kind of what he gravitated towards for a second. And I was like, so is that what you? I didn't. Okay, yeah. like it was going a couple different directions. I, I, I couldn't make heads or tails of that scene. Uh, and even, again, uh, there's, a, there's a DGA conversation with uh, Paul, Thomas Anderson, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson interviewing Steven Spielberg. They talk about that scene in, in, in specific detail. And I think the thing that everyone's really gathering, uh, like clinging on to is that it is unclear what sets the bully off at that point or whatever that character's name is. Um, but I, I, I found Logan. that to be such a... You know, I guess the thing is, is Spielberg... As a filmmaker, in my opinion, if I'm going to psychoanalyze Steven Spielberg, I think what he's a genius at, and, and I really believe that this is what makes all the other films about his parents' divorce works of sheer genius, is that he is able to take real events and make them clearer through storytelling and make, you know, make sense of them through storytelling. And, you know, like... To, to say that Catch Me If You Can at its heart is a, is a, is a film about divorce. To say E.T. is a film about a family abandoned by their father. To say Close Encounters is the opposite. It's a, fa it's a film about a, a father deciding to abandon his family. Um, those are works of genius which, which make clear the confusing parts of our lives. Like they, they're clear and they're succinct. And they're, even, even in their messiest moments... Um, allow you to make sense of the things that were unimaginable or, or weird or strange in your life. This film I, does not make sense of those, of those moments in your life, right? In his life in particular. I think so. I guess like, so I don't know the mythology of Spielberg to the extent that you do, but I'm curious about 
for example, like I never thought about E.T. as mm. it being about a fatherless family. Right. Clear. I mean, it is. It's like a single parent household. Single clearly. parent household where the father is left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, what are the other ways in which that comes into play? So, uh, um, you, you know, uh, a, a lot of what he talks about, again, E.T. was sort of. Uh, the way he talks about it, E.T. was meant to be a film about just a, a, a mother trying to deal with with children after her husband has left. Um, and, you know, the other thing, the other side of that is in the for the alien, uh, E.T. is abandoned by his parents, you know, he, you know, accidentally or what have you. And the same things happens in Empire of the Sun is about a child who is uh, not abandoned purposefully, but has to fend without his parents. Um, catch me if you can much the same way war of the worlds is about a divorced father fighting to to bring his children back to his uh, back to their mother um, many of his films are about um, families trying to be reunited after they've been separated saving private ryan is about uh, a family of three brothers who have lost one of their own and and you know these people trying to get them back together at all costs um, so we've it, and, and that is a, a way in which spielberg has you know again even in in stories that are not about him, brought the personal two stories that are you know like brought his personal um, uh, life experience to those stories, and I think done so really beautifully. Again, catch me if you can. The the the, the reason why it's my number my number one film is the scene which uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is running as much as he can to the point where he actually even like climbs out of a plane. And runs, and the first place he runs to is to his mother's house, uh, hoping to like reunite his family. Only to arrive and through heartbreak realize that uh, his his mother has moved on, and she has a new family, and there is a new child there, and he has been replaced. Is the kind of the tragedy of that film. So I think, like that, that to me is how he has woven in his family story throughout his you know his career. Um, and and the thing there is again, I think. Those, those examples make much clearer sense of what has happened and how to reconcile it than well, I think, this film does. I mean, I think I think that's an interesting mm. thesis as like mm. an overall analysis mm. of his filmography. But yeah. I think what's also true about his filmography is that he is so successful beca- because it's not necessary to have those interpretations of that film of those films to watch it. I, I, like, I, I don't think the average viewer goes into saving private Ryan and realizes like, Oh, it's about reuniting family <laughs> or, or well, it, I, it I, is, I, but like, uh, I, I, or, you I, know, connecting these yeah. together. Well, I, I agree with you. Uh, sorry. I, I agree with you that, that, and also certainly no one needs to be as obsessed with film <laughs> filmmakers filmographies as I am to like see a totality of story. You definitely don't need to do that. Yeah. But I would argue the reason why Jurassic Park is so successful compared to every other film in that franchise, or the reason why Jaws is so successful compared to every other film in that franchise. Uh, and the reason why Indiana Jones is pretty great, you know, like again, that's a film about a, uh, the, the third film is about a child trying to re- reconcile with his, uh, with his father who was not interested in him growing up or only interested in, in his technical abilities is that Spielberg manages to make those moments feel true. And Jurassic Park is again, is about, a. uh, uh, uh a mother and father trying to decide whether they should have children. And that's why it works because it connects to this idea of what happens when we create life. And it, 
my point being is that you don't need to read the exact details into it, but Spielberg is so good at making those moments honest and true mm-hmm. and heartfelt. That you slap a name on it, you put it on a lunchbox, and you sell it. That's what I've that's what I've learned from Jurassic Park. Well, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of like how like none of the Disney princesses have moms. Yeah, yeah. It's like but it's also why not, yeah. But but it's also why I don't think, um, for example, the Marvel movies connect in the same way that Jurassic Park does. So all right. Here, here's here's I, I have two things. One, yeah. we keep poo pooing on all Marvel movies. We're, okay? we're using them as a placeholder. I know. For, and and for look, Phase the Four. There's yeah. been some real stinkers. Yeah. And there's been things that have not been effective. Yeah. I would even argue that for what I'm looking for with the emotional resonance and the character building and stuff like that, some of the core stuff is actually quite good. Listen, the, okay, can I be vulnerable for a minute? Yeah. I recently rewatched both Avengers movies mm-hmm. got good. pretty emotional. They're good. They're good. It's, or, I mean, it has, they're by good. both, I mean the Endgame Infinity War. Infinity War. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very good. And, and yeah. like, it's funny because would I say that the Russo brothers are far more sterile filmmakers than Steven Spielberg? Yes, absolutely. Do I think the reason why the Avengers, the Infinity War and Endgame work is because they're directed solely is because they're directed by the Russo brothers? Absolutely not. I think they do a great job. I think there's a lot of heavy lifting and character stuff that we're pulling over from other things, or mm-hmm. like that even the actors are pulling over from other things. So sorry, I don't want to yeah, get yeah. onto the tangent of that. I have a theory as to why the Fablemans does not work and the rest of his films, even with even with or without the read about uh, parentage and kids and, and broken families, uh, if you realize it or not. I wonder if one of his Infinity Stone superpowers is taking the subtext of his life and using it to craft stories, fantastical or mundane, that literally make the characters feel like real people and therefore we empathize with them. Where, when you do that just by telling the story of the thing that you're using to enhance your fantastical or mundane false stories, it doesn't line up like there's something it's almost like there's a weird like sound reverberation canceling out something that causes the enjoyment because like it's too on the nose for what you're doing like there's some oddity there and I'm, I feel like I'm close but I'm not quite at that moment yet I just I, I think the thing with the Fablemans is it is for example the, the revelation that his father took the blame for the divorce which seems like a big deal you know it, like at the end of the film, did that, you feel that that was a burden that Paul Dano's character was taking? No. Did wait. Did in the film? I remember you said this in the documentary. Yeah. Did they? And I might have missed this. It, did the, the father film, ever Paul, talk about like, oh, I took the burden of the of the? I, that, I thought he just like moved out. That final like, scene, you know, he kind of you know says, I I'm you know I I want them to be happy. I want those two to be you know to have their life, and I and I'm going to live this life. I mean, that just felt saying, like. That was the other thing about this movie. There's no villains other than the comically 80s, even though it's the 50s or 60s or whatever, like uh, kids. Like, there's no bad guys. Everyone is the nicest person in the world. And like... Yeah, that's why I I got in trouble on Twitter. (laughs) Why? What what happened? Yeah, can I... I'll go for that. Tell tell, tell us uh, what happened on Twitter. Okay, so I thought that Paul Dano... Dano. Dano? Yeah. See, now I just sound ignorant. Um, (laughs) No. I thought he was miscast. Okay. A lot of people disagree with me. That's fine. Um, I'm not one of those people, by the way. (laughs) So, okay. So I was trying (laughs) to say that... Hmm. How should I start this? 
Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see if your Twitter response is a Joey, a Pacey, or a Jen at this point. What does that mean? Yeah. Oh, I'm making more Dawson's Creek references. I'm so oh. sorry. <laughs> I forget I'm old as fuck. I, I've actually never watched a show. <laughs> I, I'll say this: our our listeners are pretty smart and not very and, and like, I, I, we don't have many trolls that listen to the show or anything like that. Okay. People who get who so, jump on you, so it's a safe space. Okay. <laughs> if you and if anyone jumps on any of us, Izzy, Jahir, myself, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> okay, so I was trying to say that I thought Paul Dano was miscast because I typically think of his persona as being more like violent characters are unhinged he doesn't do that all the time but his most famous characters do do that mm-hmm. yeah. um and here he wasn't doing that and it didn't really work for me which people took as i believe in typecasting all the time nobody should try to play outside of their type at any point mm-hmm. and a shame on me for thinking that steven spielberg can't cast correctly Right. Which is not what I meant. What I meant was, like, obviously, it's fine to, like, play outside your type or, like, play, you know, if if you watch any of my work, it is constantly full of, like, praise for people who have done this. Um, The thing is, like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And it really depends on the vehicle in which you are departing from your typical fare, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, Love and Mercy, totally fine. Didn't have an issue with it. Uh, with him playing a very nice little sweet guy. Uh, But here, the issue was that because there wasn't a villain and because you're constantly wavering as to whether or not you think that the father is going to be this villain, I kept thinking about Paul in my head and relating him back to other characters that I've seen. So when he's trying to convey like the sensitivity of like, we should all just be really calm. And he's doing it in a very clinical way. It mm. comes off to me like a psychopath. Right. It comes off to me as someone who's going to like suddenly snap. And then when the character doesn't pay off that way, it threw me off a little bit. And I feel like that's just, I feel like that's kind of a reasonable way to feel misled by that casting. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can see why people would disagree with that but that's just how it occurred to me i was thinking about like the scene that in the batman where he's like no i thought we were gonna be friends you know what i mean and it's like (laughs) the same delivery and i was just like so is he nuts or not like i couldn't figure it out because you're constantly like who's bad here like i i'm not sure i get that i i think the issue is is even is is a little it's a little bit simpler than that because paul dan is a great actor um you know his performances as you say uh, it, it have been incredible in that he can veer from the sweet sort of introspective person to sudden, like in, in There Will Be Blood as uh, Daniel Sunday, uh, you know, like he's sort of got this sort of introspection and then suddenly becomes this pastor who can like scream and, and shout and it's like, and and slap Daniel Day-Lewis across the face uh, convincingly. Um, and, and I think the thing here is that Michelle Williams is playing such an... Look, she does look like Spielberg's mother, and the scenes certainly ring true to the way Spielberg describes his mother. But as the first scene kind of highlights, the movie is effectively working on this sort of like dialectic of art versus uh, technician, or artist versus uh, right and um, left brain. Yeah, right brain, left brain kind of thing. And the problem is, 
is that while that may have been true, there's such an idealization on one side and such a tonal, um, a sort of tonal flatness on the other side that it seems kind of like, where is the, like, what is, what is going to happen here and how is this going to work? And it seems like it's cast in a very strange way. Like I did find uh, Dano's character, yeah, miscast or, or it, it, it just rang flat to me uh, like most of the time. And I think that is also a combination of both the casting and then how scenes, like I was trying to art- think about it, but I think a lot of the scenes feel like all payoff with no setup. Like in so much as like that, for example, the bully scene, the reaction with the bully scene felt like a big payoff that I didn't quite understand what the setup was to. Or he um, got punched. She. <laughs> he did get punched. Yeah, no, you're right. He, actually, as I but said, then, yeah, loud, I didn't understand. Like, if you got th- there's no emotional. Kid, why would you yeah. make him like actually the hero in the movie? Like, you explicitly frame him as like this god. And, and I read it. I read it. And as, then why would you be upset about it? Why would the kid be upset about it? <laughs> I read. I read that as like that was kind of like the best possible movie he could make, so he did it. Yeah, it wasn't like that was like he, like. And again, it's not ever explained. And then the reaction is weird and like all that stuff. But that's kind of how I would like build it in my head. And it, and it's know. it's hard to sort of like say well it's wrong because this is how you know it's Spielberg's memory. He is making yeah. the film, and this is how he remembers it. Um, so it's not it's not to say that it's wrong. It's just that as a viewer, I am left like the, the to me the thing about making a movie is that is that a movie. Do you have a, a job to do to make people understand what's happening? <laughs> well, a, a movie is also if the act. You know, if if movies a therapy, the the act of therapy is to make clear what was once confusing and to and to kind of compartmentalize uh, a story into something that makes sense. That's what storytelling is. is it's, it's this idea that we we take what is uh, challenging in our lives and we make some sense of clarity through it, through a story. It can be good. It can be bad. It can be upsetting. It can be beautiful. It can be haunting. It can be optimistic. It can be pessimistic. Whatever it is, but but it makes it makes some sense of of chaos. And I and part of me like. There's another side of me that likes the idea that the movie could be chaotic, like a Terry Gilliam movie or like a David Lynch movie or something like that, you know, like in the way that those people make sense of the world through their own unique lens. But but for, for me, this film, again, was it was unclear what it was trying to set up um, and what and how the well, narrative think- of Spielberg and the narrative of the divorce worked in tandem to tell a coherent story i think we're used to finding subtext in 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 spielberg's things and this is just text like i think it's text that it's also not saying anything new like there's there wasn't anything to be like oh that was so interesting i'd never thought about that before right yeah and that's typically what i if i'm watching a film about like family dynamics or interpersonal dynamics i like Hmm. to be kind of surprised by what's happening or thrown off by something. And I was mostly just like, okay. It's funny. Yeah. The only the only things outside of older men yelling at him uh, that I found actually moving uh, mm-hmm. in this movie was, and this is something I'm going to actually, I think, push back against both of you a little bit on, is the Paul Dano arc right. and character with him. Um, 
and this this is interesting. This is where I think mileage varies based on personal uh, personal experience or histories. And I think honestly, is it your reaction? Is a I think is a totally valid one, and actually a bit akin to what I was even saying in the beginning of this podcast about my weird gut reaction to Spielberg as like a name. Like right. I'm just so used to this thing, and I have this thing. I'm like, this doesn't feel like a thing. Like, yeah. it's 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 internal. It's 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 we are the sum of the parts of the media that we consume, and that is just how it's going to read. Yeah, right. it's like it's a personal bias, but there are certain ways that like I think that enable you better to overcome it. I was yes. like, Seth Rogen is fantastic in this yep. movie. I think Seth yeah, Rogen's yeah. greatness. Yeah, I think he's uh, really well cast in this. Movie. And, yeah. yeah, and that's not like his typical thing either. But yeah. it works yeah. for him. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so the interesting thing here, just uh, just coming back to uh, Paul Dano's character, and I, I I think he does a good job, but I think this is structured well, and maybe the fact that he is kind of the quiet psychopath nine times out of ten <laughs> works for this for me. Yeah. Um. I, this this is you know this isn't like personal and a oh god he's going to talk about a personal thing, but like I don't re- I don't have a lot of things I relate to with my father. My dad right. is a builder and a, a roofer and a fisher and a, and just like a. a a stereotypical dude, dude's dude, Can and I I'm the. I bet you he's the number one subscriber of extra credits. No, <laughs> <laughs> I bet you he is. No, uh, <laughs> I don't think he's watched a single episode. But my point, but but um, uh, and I was an indoor kid who liked video games and movies and dressed up like Batman way too late in life. Like there's a lot, like it. There's not a lot there, but there is something that um. That happens in this movie that actually did happen with my father. In fact, it's the only thing that I actually can relate to in this movie about movie making. Mm. Um, and it's the moment when they're in the car near the beginning after one of the screenings or something, and the father's like impressed. Mm. Um, and mm. the father is like, "Oh, you do what I do." Yeah, you're you use engineering. Like they they've yeah. connected these two different worlds to be the same job and my dad and I it's funny it almost is the exact same thing my dad and I realized that we do the same things just very differently on different products yeah and then the second same thing happened they're the, like the exact same point where like your dad's like well like it's a great hobby and you're like wait no we just had a we had a moment <laughs> yeah you just had a moment and now you're no like so like that and I think maybe and again this might be my previous things forgiving some fault in this piece because I, in that one moment, saw myself and my story sort of in that thing. And actually, circling all back, I think that's why this movie is sweeping so much (laughs) is because people probably more than any of us are like finding connective tissue of their own lives and like being told stories when you're, if you're the storyteller, then you get to tell the story of your storytelling that like everyone loves you. Yeah, well, that's why I was like, this is going to do so well. This is going to sweep and get a million awards Mm -hmm. because people love it. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of finally hit me what the disconnect is while you were talking, which is like, if I relate too much to something, then I think it's boring. Right. (laughs) So this was actually the story of your life. (laughs) (laughs) No, not exactly. My my parents are definitely not like that. But like, but like. Uh, maybe maybe in a way like my mom's more artistic and my dad's more technical hmm. but like they're they're fine and they're very happily married yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like um, you know like there are little things like that where you know you make little connections or you know I don't know I was, it's well, just like I don't need people to be told like, this people like talking it. people like talking or hearing about themselves and I think a lot of yeah. people in film will watch this movie and see a lot of things about themselves in it and it's going to translate Absolutely. Into wow. Well, I like, think as, 
I mean, as well, again, uh, Spielberg is brushed with the with the moniker of genius, which means that every decision he has made in his life is uh, prefaced with uh, a stepping stone to the place that he eventually landed to. Um, so we kind of, you know, like think about everything part of his life as like part of the journey of the genius. Um, it, it's funny, though. Uh, last week I watched uh, I rewatched uh, Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs film. Um, uh, How'd that uh, go? Really <laughs> what drew well. You to that? Okay, so, so and really well in this in this in this way, it is an act of complete, complete emotional manipulation and complete propaganda about mm-hmm. the mythos of Steve Jobs. It is it like there's not We're a part put of it, it in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, there's not a part of me. There's not a part of that movie that I go. This is actually what happened. It, it, it is. It is like clearly emotionally manipulative to the upteenth degree. Steve Jobs broke into the Warner Brothers lot and <laughs> yeah. got an office for three months. Steve, yeah, Steve Jobs and uh, John, uh, John Ford were like hangout buddies. Um, but but it worked because the emotion, emotional manipulation really, despite the disconnect for what I know to be the true story there, I think that movie really lands. Whereas this, I think despite being probably as close to reality as it can be doesn't clarify much about that story in a way that makes it land and 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 that 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 was a difference because because the other thing is Spielberg is is it you know I and I I don't mean this as a pejorative term he's a great emotional manipulator like mm-hmm. that is what his that is his gift that's his deal it, that's yeah. his deal and like that is the that's suggestion. what this movie tells us this his movie deal is tells us, and it doesn't yeah. do it <laughs> this movie tells us that he is a great emotional manipulator and not in a negative way is that he under, he has this amazing incredible preternatural gift to put the camera in certain places to elicit a perfect response from an audience member. And I am a sucker for that response. I like, you know, like I am there front in line every time. And this is not a movie that does it. In fact, and I think Izzy, you and I were talking about this, which is that the, the final shot of this movie doesn't, doesn't iterate the point that Ford was making. It looks worse. It, it looks well, worse no, no, when he but, changes it. Yeah, and, and, and maybe it's meant to be amateurish or like, you know, the idea that he was just kind of learning at that stage. But like Ford is talking about the power of the characters on screen. And he basically, you know, I think he's saying when the, when the horizon line is at the bottom, it's interesting. When the horizon line is at the top, it's interesting. When the horizon line's in the middle, it's boring. And then when he moves the horizon line, it, ju- it no 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 no. Here's the problem. There's no fucking horizon. Line. It just feels. It's, it you're in an alleyway of buildings. Where's your it, fucking horizon? But it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't crystallize the moment. It's a nice. It's Side a nice. Gag. I loved it. Good, I laughed. I it's a good gag. It's, it's a, a good, good gag. gag. Yeah, yeah, it's a good gag. But, but you are a, right. I was yeah. like, this doesn't. Yeah. Oh, it's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a nice. Gag. I also it's a good gag, but I also rolled my eyes because I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, well, I I, I like it. it kinda, I liked it, but yeah. I was like, this does look intrinsically worse. <laughs> uh, but I got Wait, it. My um, what my like suggestion, which is like yeah. my amateurish dumb suggestion, which is like <laughs> so um, the gall of me to do this to like yeah. a Steven Spielberg movie. You've come to the right place. But I was like, it would have been cool if it was like on a crane and it like went it escalated right so that you could see him like going out into the big world and there's it Maybe. seems like there's a future 
And you could lock a horizon line there. You could actually create one. Because yeah. uh, Spielberg talked about it with P.T. Anderson where he said that they, yeah, he, he couldn't get the operation right, so he actually did it himself. And then he sent it to the lab, to the VFX house, and told them to add shake to it to make it look more amateurish, to That's make funny. it look like it was being flicked uh, you know, by, by someone. I, yeah, it, I I think I it's it's weird as well. Again, uh, I you know for me to like like you're saying is he to make notes to a Spielberg movie? Like yeah, it's, I'm so dumb. Like yeah, I'm already like, mad like, that like, I did what that. What have I done? No, you know, like, no. You know what though? No, 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 this no, guy's no, no, done, no, 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 no. This is again, the thing. No, this is the thing. When you make a piece of art, any of us, Spielberg included, other people get to watch it and have opinions about it. That's just how it fucking works. Right. Like it do, like I, there's no apologies for that. Like I, No, I think like sometimes Yeah, Spielberg kind of maybe gets taken a pass. Me. Yeah. Taken yeah, me. Spielberg gets a yeah. <laughs> I just I don't know, man. I like and 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 let me let me be clear when I say that. You can have an opinion and voice an opinion like we are all doing and also not be dicks about it like we are all not being dicks about it. Like, I think there's a problem when people are like pedantic and like whatever. But even Izzy, your setup of that, you're like, oh, well, you know, this is just my thing or like whatever. And yeah, like, of course, everyone's entitled to that. Like, and it sounds like a good note to me. I'm sure we don't know exactly what was going on in the day or what he was trying to go for or all those things. It doesn't matter because if that didn't get across to us, then we're just going with what did. And like, that's that's how this whole fucking thing works. Well, and, and then look, uh, uh, um, when James Gray was interviewed about Armageddon Time recently, uh, he was being asked about why is it why is there a sense that there are filmmakers making personal stories about their upbringing and their relationship to cinema? And of course, you know Kenneth uh, Branagh made Belfast a couple of years ago mm-hmm, in black mm-hmm. and white. Uh, Alfonso Cuarón made Roma a few years before that in black and white. Um, you go uh, back to the well. That's why <laughs> James Gray is making Armageddon Time. Uh, Alejandro Inarritu is making Bardo, which is coming out very shortly. Sam Mendes has Empire of Light coming out very soon as well. Uh, Cocaine Bear is coming out soon. Cocaine Bear. Can I tell you what's kind of annoying to me about this cycle, though? Yeah. Is that, first of all, like, only these men were allowed to basically have these careers in the first place. And now they're getting a whole new award cycle to just <laughs> go to get to get more attention, <laughs> and rightly so. But you know, it's just like this whole new like oeuvre and genre of films yeah, no, that you, like you, women don't have access to. And I course. guarantee you, if Barbara Streisand made this movie about yeah. herself, everyone oh would call yeah. it an ego trip. Well, like even everyone. like 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 uh, Lois Weber's not getting this fucking cycle, like or like yeah. or someone doing her story or some shit like that. Like there's like you are right. Like it is this. It's funny. I'm giving Steven Spielberg a pass actively because he's Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. We, and, we that's, that and, and that doesn't make them inherently bad. It's just no. like it's just yeah. like a trend that yeah. Yeah, statistically and that's a, that, that, has uh, uh, is only able to be accessed by a certain type of person. And the way that James Gray framed it uh, was that he kind of felt that. Um, uh, he, he, I, by the way, I don't disagree with you uh, at all, and I would be there for the Julie Taymor biography, <laughs> like a growing up film, or uh, or Mary Harron. Actually, I would be really interested in. Um, but but I I I think the way that uh, Gray framed it was that he felt that movies. He he said that he felt movies were becoming more and more impersonal 
And so filmmakers who had a voice were wanting to make personal stories because they also felt that this was the last opportunity they might have to do it. Um, and he said, and that's why um, Alfonso but, Cuaron made Roma. But they've that's been why... making personal stories their entire careers. They've been doing it more effectively when they're doing it like telling other stories and do... putting the subtext but, into it. But his point being is that is that movies are becoming more impersonal because we are uh, like, and I'll be honest with you, when I went to the movies this weekend, the only thing that people were going to go see was Wakanda Forever. Like nobody was going to go see yeah. the Fablemans or anything else outside of Wakanda well, Forever. Yeah, and that's I not to say Wakanda true, Forever. Like... Is, I actually like Wakanda Forever, but I, I'm just saying that that this was his argument is that is that there's certain filmmakers who just don't fit into that franchise filmmaking mold anymore, who feel like this might be their last opportunity to tell stories that affected their lives in some way. That was his argument for it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that there's an element of truth to that. In that, so one of my friends who's um, also on YouTube, subscribed to um, Armchair Tour, all new ah, yes. on Twitter. Yeah. Um, he's a fantastic film critic. He also manages a movie theater, yeah. and he um, has spoken on his Instagram about how people will come up and be like, "Oh my God, I can't believe you're carrying the Fablemans." Yeah. Like as if, as if it's this like rare indie movie. That yeah, like, oh, thank Steven God Spielberg you're carrying movie. it, yeah. you know, but it's like, it's Steven Spielberg. This is yeah. literally the quantifiably most accessible director of all time. Yeah. Um, but people are treating it like this, you know, rare auteur yeah. because that's the nature of the landscape now is that you yeah. kind of come to expect but that like you can't even get that anywhere, which is well, kind of, it's kind of crazy to think that, or like it, the fact that the Irishman got like summarily dumped on netflix which yeah. is i think one of those things that's kind of like autobiographical or like at least uh, yeah it's about scorsese's career yeah yeah um i i just yeah. i look if we're talking about like mainstream filmmaking getting less personal sure but like the movies aren't going anywhere. Like that's the other thing like i was just like even just looking down our line of what we've talked about like Every like nine times out of ten, if it's not uh, a, a DCEU or or like some silly thing that we're doing, like these are all deeply personal stories. Now, are they getting like the blockbuster numbers? No, but they like I don't know. Like when 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 I hear, oh man, this is the last shot to tell a personal story. I'm like, I don't fucking think so. When you're at yeah. that level. When like, you're at that level, I think it's a little disingenuous. Yeah, like, I, but I, I think mean, it's okay. I think it's like a morning of like mainstream sure. variety, and of which there is none. Yeah, right. and this is the other side of it. There, like, these are uh, uh, filmmakers whom have played the game and uh, obviously are incredibly skilled. Obviously, have legs up in certain uh, areas of the industry, um, and. You know what? They can also just say, it's like, yeah, I wanted to do this. Like, it doesn't, like, or, like, people can just be like, yeah, they wanted to do this because they want to talk about themselves and they want to talk about their experience. Like, you and mean directors have egos? What? <laughs> but, but, like, even, like, and I'm, now I'll go a little bit back on, 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 on a little bit. It's like, yes, of course they have egos. <laughs> but, like, A, that's part of the job. B, yeah. uh, okay, if you've gotten there and that's what you want to do, great. And we can look at it and either love it and relish in it and whatever, or we can say, you know, that gag you did at the end might have been better with the fucking crane shot. 
Like, like there's ways, there's like, or we get a to giant dinosaur. That. Well, I mean, yeah, anything's going to be better with a CGI. giant dinosaur. CGI. And then, and then the Barbasol can rolls across the screen. <laughs> um, and Joey uh, kisses Pacey, and we're all just freaking out. Um, and we've been rambling for a while. Um, Fablemans, I think we're all in agreement, doesn't quite land. <laughs> it, 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 it's, yeah. it's, I think the thing that is tricky with the Fablemans or anything that Steven Spielberg does at this point or at any point is that even if it doesn't land, it is made by someone who is clearly the ma- a master yeah. of, 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 the, of the craft. I liked watching the movie. It was a very well-made movie. It did yes. not hitch to my emotional uh, barbs. I don't know what the fuck my emotions are based on. Like, like, it didn't do it. Yeah, I feel like there's an extra layer because it's autobiographical as well, where if you mm. say you don't like it, it feels like a personal insult <laughs> yeah. to yeah. him, which yeah. makes you feel bad. Like, yeah, I feel yeah, bad I about that. saying that. Yeah. Um, but we can not connect with it and still, like, n- understand that it's a well-made film that is telling a story of his like we don't have to like fall in love with like we like it's okay to not be emotionally invested in a story we're told yeah like I even said, if it's told well yeah i don't have the emotional toolbox yeah <laughs> i i don't believe that i i, I, I just think you, you haven't been introduced to the or you haven't found the film that uh, that uh does it th- uh, for you that way yeah, i think we... people engage with media and everything that we do in, in vastly different ways uh yeah. and i'm actually i really love izzy that you brought up not having that magic moment because like it's something that i have not i've had again in retrospect sort of thinking about it but like and 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 shahir to to your point you have like you talk about it all the time passionately and enjoyably so and and so i i i am constantly i constantly love talking about movies with with you guys and, and and everyone that i do that like the entirety of the experience is subjective yeah, yeah, uh, and, and, and that's know, fucking cool. <laughs> you know what's interesting is you know like I I think a movie that that does this really well again is Cinema Paradiso, um, because it's so beautiful about like the language of cinema. But if you watch the director's cut of that movie, which introduced this like forty five minute detour into like finding a lost love of his life, that movie then lands like a lead brick. You know, like it just doesn't work. And I think that's that that sort of like emotional barometer of sometimes. I, I think the thing here is that the Fablemans doesn't make clear the things that 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 Spielberg is trying to articulate with his life which he has made very clear in other films through other stories and i think yeah. uh, that's the issue for me he's still he's still he's still fucking Steven Spielberg <laughs> you know like yeah. he's still goddamn yeah. Steven Spielberg um yeah. and yes he's you know like we have to acknowledge that there is a p- position of pliver- privilege but it's also one that has been um proven in many ways you know like the 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 uh the the privilege has paid off in many ways not to say that it wouldn't in other cases but it's like he is you know he is spielberg has left an indelible mark on the cinematic landscape uh across both the box office uh revenue which was like was not discussed in the way until he came around and made more money than any human being had ever made in a movie oh, before wait we think that's a good thing now <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying that that is an indelible mark that he has left and also he has made uh incredible feats that have you know um transformed what movies can do uh both emotionally 
both philosophically, critically, uh, in every way. It's like, you know, he can do that. And, and yes, you can, you know, like that, <laughs> it, while I agree that there's a privilege to that, that also gives you a lifetime pass to make a movie like this that, that maybe doesn't connect with me, but, uh, maybe I'm the, uh, I'm the outsider here on this one or the three of us are. I think the three of us are the outsiders. The three of us are the outsiders. We, I think we're emotionally I... broken individuals. <laughs> we did on the it's, inside. Um, it's that it came out when the sun went down before 6 p.m. That's why we didn't like it. Oh, oh, you, oh did, did you daylight savings? We're blaming yeah. it on daylight savings. <laughs> yeah, blaming it on daylight savings. Seasonal <laughs> affective mm. disorder. Yeah. I have this but theory that movies. my most emotionally yeah. resonant time to watch a movie is Sunday morning when I've just woken up. I mean, like, that's when I did it. Right, yeah. That's literally <laughs> when I went. I saw it at um, MoMA, and the cast okay. was oh. there. Yeah. Oh, wow. And with the um, and was the was the crowd rapturous for it? Yeah, yeah. I would say so. But I think it's kind of like a self-selecting crowd because yeah. it, yeah. it came out. It, it showed at MoMA, I think, before it was out. Yeah. In theaters for the general public. So if yeah. you bought a ticket to that, you were specifically interested. Mm. Yeah. In seeing that, and we're like on on the alert for it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So. But also I'm hearing this about, you know, most screenings that I've heard several people talk about, like people cheering and stuff in mm. screenings. Like there's a there's a fanfare element to it, I think, that. Yeah. You know, Tommy Wiseau changed the game. <laughs> uh, yeah, people no. throwing spoons at Mitzi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> go, go, go. Uh, anyway, hey, everyone. This has been the only podcast about the film The Flickermans. I mean, The Fablemans. <laughs> Uh, Izzy, thank you so much for coming and talking with us about this film. Where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me on YouTube, Be Kind Rewind, uh, Twitter, BK Rewind, Instagram, BK underscore Rewind. Uh, Shahir, when you are not um, running from aliens whose uh, Achilles heel will be revealed very conveniently at the end of the story. Where can folks find you? You can find me transmitting all my diseases through a sneeze at my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are sh uh, finding out that your shaving cream in your bathroom is filled with dino DNA, where can people find you? See, nobody cares. Uh, you can find me at my website, com. My life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four periods in Instagram or PSN uh, and Twitter. Also, oh, that's Epper MSK on Twitter. Um, I was going to try to make a Dotson joke, and it just, it just, it's Dotson. Dotson. Dotson here. We got Dotson here. We got Dotson here. here. Um, anyway, uh, next week. We should What's do Jurassic Park. <laughs> no, you know what I want to do? And it doesn't have to be next week. In fact, it might have to be the week after, but I'm telling you this right now, Shahir. Mm -hmm. I want to I talk about Violent Night. Uh, well, I think I actually have a guest <laughs> who is quite keen to talk to us about Violent Night that we could do. Okay, um, okay. Let's and, talk about that. And then um, we've, got to have, we've got to fit in Glass Onion at some point. We can do that next week. see Glass Onion? Uh is it you saw Glass Onion? I saw it at TIFF. Yeah, oh, you saw okay. it at TIFF? that was that was the big movie that I didn't go to the Fablemans to see. <laughs> <laughs> and was it worth it? Were, do, were I you loved satisfied it. Yeah, with it your fun. decision? Yeah, yeah, it was a lot I'm, of fun. I'm very excited to watch that. Yeah. Um, so we got a couple. We got a couple good options coming. Or we up. could go to Bardot, Empire Light. Let's let's just keep the uh, the, cinema, the the cinematic origin stories going. Or we go see Cocaine Bear. 
That's 2023. <laughs> we got some time. I just saw the trailer for that. What the fuck? Based on a true story, isn't it? The cocaine bear broke into the Warner Brothers lot and got an office for three months. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. We're going off the rails. We've been going for so long. Izzy, thank you so much for hanging out for so long. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate it, Izzy. We'll talk to you all later. Bye!